Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Hello, we were just like jamming offline to our awesome theme tune. Yes, I'm back. You're back. And I'm better than ever. This is Set Phasers, the highly illogical Star Trek podcast. (laughs) (coughs) She horned it in there. Uh... (laughs) We were just talking before about how we should at some point potentially sing our intro for one very special episode. One very, very special episode. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the last one we ever do. Maybe. Let that day not come. Yeah, indeed. If only to hold off us singing the theme song live. It is Stardate 10906.4. And today we are discussing episode 15, the season finale of season one of Star Trek Discovery. Will you take my hand? Can you believe we're there already? No, and that's why we had to do the special episode on a, on a Sunday. Indeed. To get through the, we have the whole season two to get through, and then October 15th, season three, and it's been hundreds of years, and there's centuries in the future, and nobody knows what's going to happen, and there's trills maybe. Uh, it's going to be bonkers. Anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> let's not. So, Aki, should we hit our rundown? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's uh, time to run it down. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? Steph, your 90s like <laughs> video dance moves are so on point now. You've really improved. Thank you. I've been watching Sister Sister. Oh, that's right. You yep. have been watching Sister Sister. <laughs> That really long intro where there's this awkward stuff yes. and well, big baggy jeans. Who knew that there was overlap? But you are you're pulling it off. Thank you. Um, that was very well done. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to think about. Okay, so season one finale. Will you take my hand? As you may recall, yeah, I had to do this to wrap this up. So last time on Star Trek Discovery, we came back from the mirror universe, and we brought evil Emperor Georgiou. And then Starfleet, it was nine months in the future than when Disco left. And so uh, uh, Starfleet was losing the war to the Klingons. And uh, Discovery had to find, like, Captain Cornwall showed up and Sarek is there. And they're, like, really behind. And so Starbase 1 was not destroyed but taken over. But maybe 80,000 Starfleet people were killed. So Starfleet's, like, on its heels, desperate. They go to Georgiou, yep. evil Georgiou, and ask her how she conquered uh, the Klingons in her universe, and she basically tells them, but then she makes a deal with the higher-ups for her freedom. She says she has a plan that can guarantee them victory. And so she is installed as Captain Georgiou of the Discovery to lead this new mission to the Klingon homeworld of Kronos. Sorry, I go. I went too early. No, that. that was well done. It was perfectly <laughs> timed. I'm... <laughs> 
It's like we're professionals. We're getting good at this. Okay. We begin with the Klingon fleet headed towards Earth. And they're saying they have the targets locked. They're like the outer edges of the system. And it zooms in. It's Earth. And then a satellite flies past Earth. And then we're looking at a green planet, which we learn is Kronos. Uh, and so Georgia is at the helm. Disco is headed to Kronos. The plan, as far as we know, is to uh, find one of these hollowed out volcanic chimneys to use the uh, sword drive to jump into the volcanic chimney and then to use a drone to make a tactical map of the entire planet's like surface and their defenses and then engage, engage in an all-out assault of Kronos to draw the Klingons back to the homeworld and be able to negotiate, negotiate them from a, like a place of balance. Uh, so George is at the helm. She's kind of being super Terran while being Georgiou, and it's it's embarrassing Saru and Michael. And uh, eventually Michael almost tries to, like, out her by being like, hey, where are you from again? What's that little town that you went to? Like, all those beaches that we... And so George says, let's take a walk. And they go out into the hall, and George is like, if you ever try to out me, I'll kill you. Well, she says, I'll throw you in the brig. But it seems like a, a deep threat, and mm. they're discussing sort of, like, Michael's like, what's the real plan? There's this whole feeling that like Georgia obviously is hiding. So she's the emperor. She's she's very adept at these Machiavellian sort of hidden moves. So what is the real plan? And uh, Georgia says like, Are you either with me or against me. And she says, I'm going to guarantee you victory. But she still doesn't quite tell you what the plan is. Uh, but she and Michael go to visit Laurel in the brig. And they say, we need to know which of these volcanic chimneys is the best one to land in for the best tactical advantage. And Laurel's like, I'm not going to tell you. The Klingons are winning the war. And then Michael's like, the Klingons are not winning. They're fractured and they're using humans as, as fodder and they're not really united. And Takuma's vision is being destroyed. And Laurel's like, I don't care. And then George is like, oh, I'm going to ask you for real. And then she lowers the force field and she beats the living crap out of Laurel. And then uh, Laurel just starts laughing and she's like, huh, you've already lost. Uh, so that doesn't work. And Michael's like, no, enough. Cause you know, Starfleet, we don't necessarily love torturing prisoners. Uh, she says there's another way. And so, uh, Michael and, uh, evil Georgia, the new buddy cop team, they go to visit Tyler, Ash Tyler, Michael's former lover and former Manchurian Klingon candidate, uh, who had his bones broken or something. And the psyche installed in the human or the human psyche was installed in the, the science is a bit fudgy. The science is so confusing. I hit my microphone. That's how weird it is. Uh, so anyway, they go to see him. He's like, they're talking about him. I for a second forgot that he, they were actually in the room. I thought maybe they were like looking at a holodeck because he's like just tying a knot the whole time. And they're like, he's of George is like, he's of no use to the Federation. He's neither human. He's neither Klingon. He does he know things? Is it worth it? Who cares? And he's just like, this is a bowline knot. Doesn't slip, doesn't stick. It's solid. And it reminds me of being a human. It's one of my first memories. So anyway, he's working on his human memories. But he agrees that since he can access all of Vogue's memories, that he can sort of be their intelligence liaison to liaison. <laughs> he can be their liaison to figure out which of these chimneys uh, they can get the discovery into. And so he goes in and they show him the 3D map. And he says, well, you know, some of these have been destroyed or flooded, so they don't work. We can land the discovery here, but it's not connected to the tactical structures of the planet. So we need to get over to this other one, which we can get to on foot if we go through like the like seedy district of like Chrono City. And uh, and we have to go to this, uh, what is it? The Shrine of Molor, because they used to throw 
human bodies Mother in there, but that, vulc- that, that chimney is the one they need to get to. And uh, so George is like, great, Tyler, I want you on this mission. Obviously, she wants Michael. She has, and we need one more person on this, this very delicate and sensitive mission. We're going undercover as weird human smugglers. And she brings in Tilly. And Tilly, up to this moment, does not know that this is evil Georgia. So she comes in, and she's being a total Tilly. And she's like, oh, it's so great to meet you. I've heard so much about you. I'm so excited. And then Georgia gets real weird, and she's like, oh, the people we've killed and the Kelpians we've eaten, <laughs> or whatever. And then Tilly's like, oh, no, this is not. <laughs> this is not Georgia. That was a very good comedic moment. I yep. That was definitely a Tilly moment in there. Just the way that she the handled super that. Super Tilly moment. Yeah, the way, and then the way that she also like, kind of was like, what is going on here? Uh, so that's the team. And they're going to they're gonna be the ones that go actually on world and make the walk from the one volcanic place to the other one to drop the drone. And so they all get dressed in super cool black clothing, which I thought was cool. And they do like a slow motion walk. Uh, Disco jumps to the volcano. Uh and they are transported off the ship into what I describe as the Kronos Bazaar Skid Row, like uh, the like den of thieves from Star Wars. It's it just was, like, and they you, had green yeah. people as well. Like they sort of had yes, green sex yeah. workers. Yeah, which is green very sex workers and and so Star Warsy. Yeah, because they're wearing they're not naked. They're wearing like chain bikinis mm. and thongs and stuff. So very very Star Warsy. So. Uh, there's weird street meets, which is funny for me. So they go to meet. I don't remember what kind of alien they go to meet, but the alien's like, get out of here, Starfleet, you suck. And then Georgie's like, get out of here. And then she like opens a bag and they pull out some badass phasers. And she's like, tell her what we've got. And Tilly now badass with her hair pulled back and straight. And she's all like, she does a pretty great job of being like a like a smuggler. She's like, this is this kind of gun. It's got these and it's undetectable by blah, blah, blah. Just re-round and shoot 20 times and bing, blah, blah, bing. Oh, yeah. She also puts a gun in that lady's face and she's like, if you harm my my boss, I'll shoot your nose off. And it was great. It was like Killy came out, you know. Killy came out. Well, she had been practicing Killy in the mirror mm-hmm. universe. Fortunately, we are back <laughs> in the prime universe. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, so then Tilly is says like, oh man, all this like gun, this arms smuggling is making me hungry. Let's go get something to eat. So she and Michael go to get some sort of street meat that they have no idea what it is. But she basically is giving Michael the same question like, what does Giorgio have planned? And Michael doesn't know, but they're like, let's keep an eye on things. And then Tilly starts eating the meat, and she's like, uh, mm, I don't know. She thinks it's delicious. And then Tyler tells her that it's a space whale, Cormigan, and she spits it out. Because remember, we had that sweet, sweet Gormigan, that yeah. um, mud hidden. Uh, okay, so then they go into basically like a strip club brothel area in Kronos, I guess. And... Uh, <laughs> a den of... In- what, is it, what is it called? A den of iniquities or something? It is a den of... of yeah, sure, of iniquity. Oh, you mean like what does uh, Obi-Wan call... Um, are we talking Star Wars now? No, I wasn't. I was just, I, oh. I thought that was what that sort of den might you be called. You certainly call it a den of iniquity. You could call it a a, uh, a house of ill repute. House of sin. Uh, there are many, yes, a house of sin. There are many fantastic euphemisms for places where uh, people pay other people to uh, have sex with them and drink and uh, do other um, illicit substances. 
all these things will happen inside this place. So uh, Philippa immediately sits down in a chair. She's like, hey, let's split up. I'm going to take these two dancers back to a private room. She tells Tilly to just sit there holding the case. And Tyler and Michael go off to, they're all just trying to find information on where this, where exactly this uh, Morlock uh, shrine is, because that's where they need to get. Uh, so, Georgia goes to the back room for some, what I wrote down as sexy time with two green people. And uh, <laughs> Michael and Tyler wind up in a sort of gambling. I love how awkward you get when it's some sort of sexy time. What are you talking about? Mm. We're moving on. Moving on, Michael and Tyler <laughs> go to a gambling area, and uh, Tyler's like, oh, oh yeah, folks, memories uh, make me sort of remember how to play this game, and I think I'm pretty good at it. So he goes, like, full-on folk, and he's, like, talking Klingon. He's hitting Klingons and stuff. He's doing, like, the, you remember that episode where Riker goes? He's on, like, the exchange thing, and he goes to the Klingon ship, and he, like, yep. eats the live, the grok, and he, like, punches people and then falls in love with the Klingon woman, of course. Uh, that's what I sort of picture when Tyler like is like. Did he? I don't remember the Klingon woman. Yeah, the two women were into him at, at breakfast or at whatever the meal, and then I thought he was scared of them. No, Tyler. No, Tyler. Excuse me, he? Riker. Mm, Riker was like. I um, this. Man, we should we should probably watch that episode. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know we're supposed to watch an episode with our patrons. We should maybe we put are that on the list. Okay. Uh, where was I? So, uh, Michael's is like kind of freaked out because he's like getting all Klingon y. And so she runs away to a tattoo parlor and she's in the tattoo parlor. And then Tyler comes back to see her and he's like, uh, they don't have any information. Uh, Tilly, meanwhile, is alone and she gets invited over by some old green man to sit in a chair and smoke some unknown substance with him. She tries to uh, not, and he says, get out. And then she says, okay, I'll smoke. And then she has one inhale, and she completely passes out. Uh, in the meantime, Michael tells Tyler about how her parents were killed uh, brutally uh, before her ears, essentially, by uh, Klingon raiders when they were on the Daktari Alpha outpost to see uh, a Stargo supernova, and that's why she has this sort of abiding hatred that she's working through for the Klingon race and uh, they're sort of discussing all that and then Tyler sees someone do a, a Molor ritual at a table so he runs over there to get some information for them uh, at the same time we see Georgiou now in in the uh, in a state of post-coital in what? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, recumbency and with her two partners. And they're like, oh, you've taught us so much. We shouldn't even charge you, but we have to charge you. And she's like, maybe you can teach me something. And they go, oh, and then she attacks them. <laughs> she like puts one in a leg lock and then pulls a phaser on the other one. She's like, tell me where the Molar Temple is. <laughs> so she's effective at what she's effective at. Pretty much everything. Uh, at that point, Tilly wakes up and uh, she sees that the older, the drug guy is like trying to break into her case that holds the drone. And she's like, and she says, hey, what were we smoking? And he says it was volcanic like ash or dust. And she says the volcanoes are dead. And he's like, oh, they're not dead. They definitely are still alive. She goes, say what? And then she, for some reason, sort of just like intuitively opens up the case and realizes it's not a drone at all. It is a quote, hydro bomb 
when she discovers that it is a hydro bomb, she immediately calls uh, Michael and Tyler, and she's like, hey, this is not a drone, it's a hydro bomb. I think the plan is to put this bomb in the volcanoes, and that will cause, like, a catastrophic extinction-level event on the planet of Kronos, uh, 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 amounting essentially to genocide. And as she's saying that, Giorgio comes up from behind her, hits her on the head, takes the case, knocks her out. Is hydro bomb supposed to be the same as hydrogen bomb? I assume it's meant to be sort of like hydrogen bomb in that maybe it involves hydrogen, but a hydrogen bomb wouldn't be as, wouldn't be a planet destructor. So I guess it's like hydrogen plus photon technology. I don't know. It's like a big, 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 big bomb. Big boom. It's a big, big bada boom. Uh, so until they, so Tyler and Michael go to Tilly and they are sort of discussing and then they get in contact with Disco and they're trying to stop Giorgio from dropping off the, the drone slash bomb. But even though Disco can see where she is and can see where the drone is, they, there's too much shielding on the planet, which is why they had to enact this crazy plan in the first place. And so they're unable to forcibly transport Giorgio out and they're unable to control the bomb because it's, it's like, uh, keyed to Giorgio's uh, biosignature or whatever. So Michael says, like, all right, fine, I want to talk to the Admiral. Uh, so she and the people go back up to the ship. Uh, or no, not up to the ship, down to the ship, because it'll be in the volcanic uh, bubble at this point, right, underneath the surface. So they go back to the disco, and they make a call to Cornwall, and they show the Cornwall, Cornwell, Corn, shit. <laughs> You did it a few times earlier. I let it go. It's quite funny. Admiral Katrina Cornwell. They make a call to Cornwell. And, uh, oh, I don't know why this name is so hard for me. <laughs> they make a call to Cornwell, and they're like, is this your plan? You wanted to commit genocide? And Cornwell sort of hems and haws, and is like, we're in a desperate place, and this is what we don't have the luxury of principles. And Michael says, that's all we have, Admiral. Yeah. And she goes like, listen, I made a mistake a year ago when I started this war. I thought that I had to do this thing in order to save us. I thought desperation was the answer, and I made a mistake. And then she says, do we need to have a mutiny today to prove who we are? And I said it in a more controversial, like, confrontational way than she did, but that's basically how she said it. And then there's, like, a stare down, and then the bridge crew joins Michael, and then... Stand up and have this whole moment. Yeah, they're like, yeah, I am Starfleet. I am Spartacus, et cetera, et cetera. And the Admiral says, okay, what did you have in mind? And then a plan is launched uh, that we don't know anything about. Next thing we see, Giorgio being approached by Michael as she's in the cave, because she has dropped the the bomb and is, like, tracking it on her handheld doohickey. And Michael says, listen, you can keep your freedom, but give me the detonator and get out of here. We're not following this plan. And Giorgio's like, oh, you talked them out of it. Of course you did. She says, did you ever occur to you that I was doing it for you so you didn't have to get your hands dirty but so you could survive? And Michael's like, no, we don't want to survive this way. It's not worth it to survive like Starfleet this way. And then Giorgio, after being like, "Uh, you're nothing, she goes, well, you could join me. (laughs) They'll be at our mercy. Uh, You know, uh, she says she's not like Michael's Philippa, but there's obviously a bond between them that they cannot deny. And that is even more clear when Michael says, I will not join you. And then Georgia pulls a phaser on Michael and she's like, oh, yeah, well, you're not going to get this bomb for me. And Michael's like, you should take your freedom or you're going to have to kill me. And even if you escape, my ship will destroy you. So uh, you can get out of here. All you have to do is watch me die again. And then she puts the gun right in her chest. And then Georgia relents because she's, like, into Michael. She does like her. And they like each other. And it's sweet, even though 
we sort of know that this evil Giorgio has killed millions, billions, trillions of people. Billions. Billions and billions, billions of people. So Giorgio's like, fine, whatever. I'll just get out of here. I don't care anymore. You guys can make your own mess or whatever. And she's like, do you want the detonator key to your bio signature? And she goes, not mine. Bring her in. And they bring in Lorel back in her white uh, suit with the sh- blood fangs coming out of it. And she's like, what is this? And they're like, oh, we were going to blow up your whole planet. We were going to commit suicide and kill every single Klingon in the galaxy that we could get our hands on, except for the ones that were able to escape. And she's like, well, you brought me here just to gloat. And Michael's like, no, we brought you here for an alternative. So they figured out this is truly a Vulcan hello. And uh, to bring it back to episode one. So they set the set the detonator to Lorel's biosignature, and they say, you can unify the 24 Klingon houses if you, uh, you they understand power and force, and you have the ability to do it. And of course, Lorel is used to being in the shadows. You remember that the other sexy times moment between Lorel and Vogue when they were, she was like, oh, I want to be behind you and at your side and all that stuff and all this, uh, you know, uh, stuff they talked about. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Tyler speaks up and he says, like, hey, Volk always thought that you you had the ability to lead. It is time for you to leave the shadows. And so it is agreed that Lorel will uh, use this bomb to... Uh, the Klingons have the option to unite or die. Before everything, you know, uh, Giorgio splits, but before she leaves, Michael tells her, be good. And Giorgio's like, oh, are you going to chase me down? And Michael's like, just making sure I don't have to. Uh, and she smiles and nods, so and that could mean anything. Very mercurial way to respond to that. Tyler and Michael then have a moment together when Tyler's like, hey, uh, what Georgia said was right. I'm not really good for Starfleet. I think I'm going to go with Laurel and be like a kind of a liaison between Starfleet and the Klingons and maybe help you know, establish his balance, but they have some feelings that they share with each other. And he thanks her for keeping him alive and breaking the weird training. And she's like, I see you in there. It's only you. It's kind of like a trust thing. And then they kiss goodbye and it's very sweet. And then when he leaves, she's holding her, um, he's, she's holding his, uh, bowline knot. It doesn't slip. It doesn't stick or whatever he said. And, uh, they transport to Lorel's Mokai ship and Burnham transfers back to Disco. Uh, and then Lorel uses her uh, abilities of persuasion and also that hydrobomb to convince the 24 Klingon houses that are initially uh, nonplussed uh, about her. Um, or are they plussed? I never remember which is which of the plussed and nonplussed, but they're like, ha ha ha, you can't control us. And she's like, oh yeah, I'll blow us all up. And so they fall in line. The war is over. Michael and the disco crew return home to to Starfleet headquarters in Paris, in Paris, and uh, they're on Earth. And Michael is approached by Amanda, her her mother. Well, Sarek's wife, and Sarek is her father, so Amanda's her mother. But they're not her biological parents. Put it that way. And uh, she says, "You told me to remember my humanity, and I didn't understand that until now. And I just want to thank you for telling me that when I was young." And they share a tearful moment. And then Sarah comes over, and they have their version of a tearful moment among Klingon, among Vulcans, where he says, "I made some mistakes, and I was part of an unprincipled attack." And then Michael says, "Hey, you were desperate." He goes, "Still, I have a lot to thank you for. I am as grateful to you as the Starfleet should be as well." I will go with your ship to the next uh, place that you're going to get your new captain from Vulcan. And she's like, it would be great 
to have that. And then he smiles at her, and that was sweet. I liked it. Uh, the penultimate scene is uh, Michael addressing the Federation Council. She gives a stirring speech. Uh, that begun as a voiceover at the beginning of the episode and uh, left us hanging because it did not uh, answer a question as she finishes it. And also, people are awarded. Uh, Saru uh, gets, is the first Kelpian to get the Medal of Honor. I assume the whole crew gets the Medal of Honor, but Saru is the first Kelpian. Yeah, and they all Stamets had Culber, Yeah, in, in posthumously, Culber gets the award. And Tilly gets accepted into the Starfleet Command Training Program. Huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. And then there is an ovation. Not standing, but there is an ovation for Michael and uh, the whole crew. And it's sweet. And the speech is stirring. And I will say it later. Anyway, they get back on the disco. They're talking all this jibba-jabba. They're going to have to warp to Vulcan because... Uh, Starfleet's kind of like eh, maybe we should find like a non human, non living, sentient way to control the spore drive that uh, doesn't involve ripping someone's mind in half. Uh, so they're gonna warp to Vulcan to get the new captain, and on their way to Vulcan, uh, they receive a priority one distress call, and so they drop out of warp because it's kind of choppy. And then even then they don't really hear what it's supposed to be, but then they do discover that it is coming from Captain Pike. On the Enterprise, the NCC 1701, and uh, the outro credits are the original Star Trek theme music. And that, yes, my friends, is episode 15, season finale of season one of Star Trek Discovery. And we throw it up. Did I do it? You did. You know, it's it's very cathartic, but um, they don't go very far often. Like they're right here at my feet now. So, uh, that was a crazy episode. The oh, I threw them before getting into stats. There's only one black alert, and there's no set phasers, and there's one, there's two to transports. So good job on I the stats. Sky says you're a little quiet, by the way. I'm sorry. Well, I get quiet when Steph makes me talk about sexy times. <laughs> so <laughs> I just start running away from the microphone. I apologize, uh, but now I am. I hope coming in loud and clear. Sky will let us know. Sky will let us know. Okay. Uh, well, should we go to quotable moments? We should. Quotable moments. I really did it for me. Do you have any in particular that you would like to mention, or should I read my super long one? I did have one, actually. Do yours. Yes, great. Uh, which one was it? It was, the only way to defeat fear is to tell it no. No, we will not take shortcuts on the path to righteousness. No, we will not break the rules that protect us from our mm. basest instincts. No, we will not allow desperation to destroy moral authority. Hey, that's pretty good. That that's it. basically my quote. I just did the first part of it, the story. So that's great. <clears throat> you ready? Uh, yes, I am. Let me lean in here. On the eve of battle, on a cold and windless night, an old general turned to a young soldier. Tomorrow, said the master, you will know fear. The young soldier, who had not yet experienced the agony of war, looked at the general with quizzical eyes. How will I know fear if I do not know what it looks like? The general replied, you will know fear because it speaks very fast and it speaks very loud. If that is how fear acts, recognizing it is easy. But as the young soldier considered the general's advice, she asked the question facing us now. Once I know fear, how do I defeat it? The general's answer, the only way to defeat fear is to tell it no. Leading into uh, the part that Seth read, 
And I also liked the little part at the end because she, the things you said know about the path to righteousness. We will, we will not break rules that protect us from basic instincts. We will not let desperation destroy moral authority. And then she says, I am guilty of all these things. Um, some say that in life there are no second chances. Experience tells me that this is true, but we can look only forward. We have to be torchbearers, casting the light so we may see the path to lasting peace. Booyah. I quite like the torchbearer reference, obviously, given with the Klingons. Yes. Also, I thought this was a wonderful way to sum it up because really the, the conflict that begins, I mean, I maybe have watched this too many times, but I felt the old master was the original Philippa Georgiou. And the young soldier is Mike, Michael Burnham in the first episode. And Georgia is saying, you know, this is, it's scary because the Klingon torch ship is here and Michael was scared, but she re, she wanted to react in this way that was anti Starfleet. And Georgia was telling her, no, we, this is not what Starfleet does. And that's what led Michael to her terrible mistake. And that's why she says, I've made all these mistakes. Anyway, you know, not to get into a whole Kapla corner thing, but why not? Kapla! Okay, listen, people tell me that this series is too dark. It's too serious. Starfleet's about happiness and hope and whatever. Now you listen to me, chumps, you patoks. The whole thing is that it just takes longer for this. These are more trenchant, more complex issues, not unlike what Gene Roddenberry originally visioned. And in the end, it is about upholding the principles of Starfleet. It is about being being true to core values and about finding a way that is not uh, somehow compromising uh, the ideals of peace and freedom and discovery and exploration and camaraderie. But we don't get that at the end of every episode. We get it sort of at the end of every arc, end of every season. And then the characters go through complex emotions and make bad choices, but then eventually come around to the right decision. And so I would argue if you think the show is too dark and that it goes against all the notions of Starfleet, that it is you, my friend, who, unlike uh, Tilly advises us in the penultimate episode, are unwilling to face the darkness within yourself and to tell it that fear, no. And here endeth Michael Plockhorner. I wish I had papers to throw. Ooh, yeah, well, I mean, that kind of, I'm actually exhausted. Now. I feel like you've been holding back on us all this time uh, with Kapla Corner. Shall, shall we, uh, oh, gosh, <laughs> I guess it's time to talk about what happens next. Dun, dun, dun. Next time. Next time. Oh, man. On set phasers. I just realized that again, I got too excited and did not look up the next episode names. And though I can sort of remember them, I think it would be smart not to do that. I'm going to Google it. Brother. All right. So uh, this Friday, we will continue with the next two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, season two, episode one, and hold on to your butts. The Enterprise is here. So is Captain Pike and uh, many people that you may or may not know of if you ever watched the original pilot episode. The first episode is called Brother. And the second episode is called New Eden. Uh, If you're watching along with us, watch those two episodes so you're not confused when I go completely off the rails. Uh, If you have enjoyed 
our program. Oh, wait, no, I got too excited. Yeah, no, if you've enjoyed our program, then you can catch us every Friday and sometimes on Sunday in the middle of the day on Facebook Live or as a podcast every Monday, wherever podcasts come from. So please uh, download and subscribe. Uh, wherever podcasts come from. I love that. It's like saying, you know, where do babies come from? Where do podcasts come from? I have no idea. Storks, right? Podcast storks, yeah. Podcast stork. Uh, we are on Facebook, of course. Uh, that's probably where you're watching us now. Uh, at Set Phasers Podcast. And don't forget Instagram as well. We post some fun things there too. Uh, and feel free to follow along and join in the conversation of all things Trek. And Star Trek Day is coming up next week. <gasps> it is. It's Super so many announcements. Excited. So we will be posting a lot to our page on Tuesday. Yeah, and also screaming a lot alone in my apartment. If you want to support us on our continuing mission to discover what Discovery has in store for us, we'd only be delighted. You can patronize us. We can take it by going to patreon.com slash setphasers and donating to our cause. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Steph Manns. And I am Aki Burmese, and this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. and program. Hmm?